1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Barry. And I want to thank you for joining us for another informative episode. We hope that, you know, the information that we're providing has been helping you kind of figure out this whole corona pandemic and kind of how the best way to move around. We're going to talk about some of the latest news regarding the coronavirus and a lot of good information out there that's really, you know, shedding more light on what exactly the corona is involved in, what it's doing and how it's affecting the populace again just before we get to the nitty-gritty details want to again remind you guys please check out um the website anchor.fm backslash hw connection there's a the podcast home page you can check out our site you can donate as well to the show if you want to support you know the show, the show does um try to produce to every week Courtesy of myself and some of the uh, my colleagues over at Afro Vibes Radio, which you also need to check out as well. Please download our app as well for awesome, awesome Afrobeat uh, nonstop. And it's free, so it's really no excuse. Live DJs, you know, mixed and and produced by really DJs all over the world. So don't want to stress. I mean, I want to stress really how a great deal that is. So check out Afro Vibes Radio. Um, you will not regret it. So again, we're talking about the coronavirus. We got a lot of topics that we're going to cover today as well as uh, some new research that's really on the horizon that hopefully shape uh, the treatment for coronavirus uh, going forward. So worldwide, we're about at 2 million cases, a little over 2 million cases. Recovered uh, is about half of a million people have gotten the virus and recovered and about um, 130,000 people have died from the virus. So, definitely um, a very um, uh, significant global effect Um, one thing though that we're seeing is that a lot of the uh, different uh, cities and states and countries that have instituted lockdowns have been so for about 30 days now so we're starting to see some of the effects of some of these lockdown measures particularly we're seeing reduced uh, new infections as well as reduced deaths all across the board. So I think, uh, thankfully, the measures that have been put in place by the various municipalities, which is also a source of quite a bit of controversy as well, have really uh, done a, quite a bit to help improve the um, overall effect that the coronavirus infections have had on the various hospital systems. I think after seeing the, uh, the various hospitals in northern Italy being overwhelmed and certain hotspots, including New York. Um, you know, they're just the intense number of patients and uh, issues that they're still dealing with. Um, I think a lot of those measures put in place worldwide have helped reduce some of that um, um, intense onslaught you're seeing in some of these really badly affected cities. So um, the thing about the coronavirus is that, you know, while things are getting better, you know, it's one of those diseases that is believed that it's mutating quite rapidly and will likely come back for the next few seasons. So, you know, really getting um, an idea on how a coronavirus hurts and kills people and how it infects and spreads is very important because it seems like something that we're going to have to deal with uh, for the foreseeable future. So one thing that's really kind of concerning that we're noticing with this coronavirus is that people who are known to have pre-existing conditions, which is really a general term. And we're going to talk about that more in detail. But there are certain populations that are seemingly far more susceptible to some of the more catastrophic effects of a coronavirus infections, which is mainly the uh, severe pneumonia, the double pneumonia that puts people in the hospital and reduces their inability to breathe or oxygenate their blood. Um, <clears throat> and um, one thing we're seeing is that obesity is really shown to have a pretty um, significant link to your, um, uh, likelihood of getting a very severe complication from coronavirus because you know coronavirus is one of those bugs that it has a very odd or a very unique pattern um, it takes it tends to not really affect young children um, young adults relatively healthy adults those typically do very well with coronavirus infections in fact some of these people can actually have an active infection but don't show any symptoms and they're also very contagious during this period as well. So these people are actually believed to be implicated in really spreading the virus quite rapidly in the communities. Now, <clears throat> most um, you know viruses like the flu, for instance, will have a one to two day incubation period where you're kind of technically infectious, but you're not really having symptoms. So you may be out and about thinking you're fine. And then maybe that evening you, f- you get a fever and you really get really fatigued. Coronavirus, for instance, however, though, you have a five to seven day incubation period. So, a very long time of someone can be infected and still be extremely contagious. We talked about this in previous shows. Check out the other four or five shows we've done on the coronavirus, and especially breaking down the coronavirus, really go into detail as far as how it is spread. So, check that out if you want more information on that. But either way, the coronavirus is one of those viruses that can spread very rapidly due to the fact it has a long incubation period. Therefore, it's very you know contagious. The reason why this is important, because certain communities that have high levels of obesity are seemingly, um, getting more devastated from this coronavirus infection. One actually study that came out that really <clears throat> showed more about this link between, um, obesity and, uh, increased complications was one actually was received done out of New York. We all know New York is a, uh, very hard hit community, um, from this coronavirus pandemic. But there was one particular study that was done where they really looked at um, patients who were admitted to the um, hospital for coronavirus infections. Um, And they looked at those who lived, those who died, their overall, you know, need for mechanical ventilation and other signs of really difficult hospital stays. And um, one thing that was determined, it was noted that people who were admitted were almost always over 65 or morbidly obese, or, or I should say obese, not morbidly um, obese. Uh, they were technically had BMIs greater than 28 or higher, um, and that really comes down to f- body fat percentage. So it was definitely um, something that was very consistently seen in this New York study that recently just came out. There's also a similar association. Yes, there was a French study that was recently conducted in France, and Lille, France, actually, where they saw that in a recent um, analysis of their ICU patients. Almost 70% were obese. Now, when you break that down, about um, about um, those who had a BMI greater than 30, which is considered obesity, and then severe obesity is greater than 35 BMI. Um, you know, most of the people, 47% actually just had a BMI 30 and up, um, and those who were severely um, overweight um, had even higher levels of um, mechanical ventilation in the ICUs. So obesity is an extremely um, significant factor or predictor, I should say, for severe illness and potentially overall poor outcomes when dealing with a um, COVID-19 infection. So um, it really just kind of put a new light on those communities, especially in the United States of America, who are more susceptible um, to this illness. And obesity seems to be a common factor. Um, The reason why this is also important, because one thing that's also being seen across uh, COVID uh, hotspots throughout the United States is that uh, African-Americans also been heavily affected as far as the uh, death uh, uh, rates. Um, Many communities, um, including Detroit, Chicago, um, in the Midwest, Milwaukee, Illinois, even New Orleans, um, African-Americans are comprising the higher numbers of those succumbing to the infection. Um, now, one thing with this link with obesity we're seeing is that it's possible that the fact that um, higher rates of obesity are also seen in the Afri- African-American community may also be contributing to some of the um, increased uh, um, poor outcomes in the community as well. Now, we also mentioned in the previous show that, um, of course, uh, systematic racism is likely a big factor as well, since that um, many studies have shown how African-Americans could be potentially um, be minimize as far as their symptoms or not be taken as seriously as patients. Um, so that obviously is going to contribute to potential poor outcomes, but this new link as far as obesity is also quite important as well. And kind of goes to show kind of the importance of our show, what we've been talking about for the past uh, few years, of course, uh, hopefully, um, you know, the obesity epidemic is nothing new. If you've been listening to the show, we've been um, yelling about this for the past two, three years or so. In fact, um, um, the book, um, uh, I was uh, lucky enough to author Next Level Weight Loss 2.0. Um, please check that out if you want some information regarding how to lose weight. We go deep into the obesity um, epidemic currently going on, and really kind of break down ways to overcome obesity by reevaluating how you look at food. Again, Next Level Weight Loss, Next Level Weight Loss 2.0. Please check it on Amazon. Either way, um, so the obesity epidemic is real, and it's possible, it's likely that this coronavirus is actually. You know, exposing that, um, you know, disparity in the health um, of certain populations as well as, you know, affecting uh, those people or those nations, particularly the United States, that have high prevalence of obesity. And so with the American obesity rate of 42%, um, clearly uh, we're at higher risk of far more morbidity and mortality from this infection than, say, uh, China, which has about a 6% obesity rate or Italy, which actually has about a 10% obesity rate, and they still are having significant issues battling the virus. So um, because of this, many people predicting that the United States will likely have the most fatalities from this infection. Um, so it's really important that um, you know we kind of understand the dangers of, of potentially um, not taking our health seriously. It was believed that, you know, with the advent of a lot of modern medical techniques, especially fighting some of the common ailments associated with obesity like corneal um, vascular um, arterial disease, as well as uh, cerebrovascular disease or strokes. And the first one, of course, is heart attacks and so forth. Uh, we have, you know, fancy techniques to help, you know, open arteries once they get clogged up with, with uh, inflammatory tissue and other fancy devices to get inside the brain and open up You know, acute um, blockages and all that stuff is fantastic. However, um, the idea is to try to avoid getting to that position, and that's by trying to do the best you can to, you know, eat whole foods, um, try to drink a lot of water, you know, reduce inflammation, you know, try to maintain a healthy, balanced diet. Things like this can be essential in um, reducing some of those known uh, issues that we know obesity can cause or prevent those issues, I should say. But you also want to keep your immune system in check and at tip-top shape, so that you can be able to fight off infections like this, you know, novel coronavirus uh, uh, bug that's terrorizing uh, the the human uh, populace. So, you know, it's uh, something that you know really echoes the importance of obesity and managing that. And hopefully, this will put an impetus into the you know the United States and other nations to promote anti-obesity measures and ensure that people understand the potential health risks of obesity. So um, that being said, let's talk more about, again, other potential risks that may be affecting the African-American community. Another one is uh, um, the exposure um, to the virus by, quote unquote, essential workers. These are people working in the various uh, markets, be it the grocery stores, uh, bus drivers, delivery agents, and so forth. Uh, there's also been noted that there's a lot of people who are doing these jobs who may not be able to not work due to, you know, potential uh, exposure because of the financial issues that they may be dealing with. And this has caused a belief that many folks who are potentially of lower income may be forced to continue to work in despite despite having dangerous um, occupational risks. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of these jobs are occupied by African-Americans. So it's also another belief that the lower socioeconomic status of many individuals in the African-American community is also you know, causing the increased exposure, which is also causing the... Uh, Uh, increased uh, risk of death so it's so important that we kind of you know learn to address these here as we address the response to this uh, coronavirus and making sure that we're protecting all of our workers one thing I'm a big advocate of is a paid leave so people who are sick are uh, encouraged to stay home and continue to get a check so that they do not potentially you know, expose others at the job. So it's very important that we kind of figure out something. Um, hopefully government can come in and help us as well. But something will definitely need to be done because things like people working sick is one of the reasons why <clears throat> this virus will be harder to control because people are still interacting with others in a work environment despite the fact they're very contagious. So... Again, a lot of things that are going to be, you know, changed due to this whole coronavirus and hopefully they are for the better. So um, good news is that, um, you know, not all all doom and gloom, we do have some great, great news regarding treatments. We're going to talk about those after the break. A lot of different things on the horizon, a lot of different questions being asked. So let's talk more about some of the new treatments potentially that could help manage this whole uh, coronavirus pandemic. And also we're going to touch a bit on some of the vaccine controversy. So, again, guys, stay tuned. It's uh, your host, Dr. Barry. More coming up after the break. Peace. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Health and Wellness Connection. It's your host, Dr. Barry, here again, talking more about the coronavirus and, you know, the things that are kind of coming on the horizon regarding, you know, treatment. That's one thing that um, we are seeing, um, the coronavirus. It's potentially um, starting to... I guess we're starting to learn more about it as far as how to treat it. And there are some medications that are, while controversial, um, potentially um, are something that we could use to potentially fight the infection going forward. Now, we all know that um, treatment has been a very controversial topic, and there are a couple drugs that have been announced (laughs) in various ways. Um, First up, we know the one that um, the president president uh, Donald uh, J. Trump apparently was very excited about and that was hydroxychloroquine. Um, Now we know that hydroxychloroquine um, is a drug that's been around for a while. Um, It's a drug that was initially designed to fight malaria. Um, Chloroquine, which was actually the initial formation of the drug, um, started developing a resistance amongst those who were using it for malaria scientists or doctors back then noticed it. So hydroxychloroquine was created instead. Now hydroxychloroquine as itself is still a medication that's still used for malaria. Um, Now there's actually other malaria drugs that are actually considered more effective, but hydroxychloroquine is still believed to be quite effective for most types of malaria. However, um, because of, you know, it's kind of been supplanted by other more fancier malarial meds, um, it still kind of it went on the back burner for that particular condition. However, it's actually got new life um, as a medication to be used typically to treat rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, many rheumatologists use it as well to help reduce some of the inflammatory pro, uh, processes seen in various uh, joint arthropathies like rheumatoid arthritis and that's where it's kind of enjoyed its kind of a sunset, if you will. Now that malaria, while still a problem in many parts of Africa and South America, is definitely not as prevalent as it was back in the early 1900s and mid 1900s when this drug was really uh, <clears throat> all the rage. Now, that being said, um, you know um, hydroxychloroquine has now been you know in the news lately, obviously with the recent coronavirus pandemic, and the reason why it became um, kind of a drug that people were looking at as a potential treatment was because the Chinese scientists uh, initially um, who looked at it were um, showed some promising information regarding uh, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin use in patients who had um, severe coronavirus infections. And it showed that some patients were improving. Now, there was a lot of controversy um, with this study and um, there was also another study done by some French scientists as well and they showed some improvement. It was another small study as well. We talked about this as well in previous shows. Please Look at some of the early shows where we kind of just go into this hydrochloroquine discussion. But there was some um, optimistic um, signs in both those studies and got folks excited about the potential for it to be used as a potential treatment. Now it's not the first time hydroxychloroquine has been considered uh, something to be used in an antiviral setting because one thing that's seen in the lab when hydroxychloroquine is being studied is that it actually can help reduce viral replication in cells in vitro and that's what we mean outside of the body now the reality is that even though in a petri dish hydroxychloroquine bathed cells may not get infected with a viral infection once this process occurs in the body viruses behave very differently so this is why it's not really you know hydroxychloroquine hasn't been this super antiviral bug we don't give it for flu we don't give it for HIV or really nothing else Um, so that's why there's a lot of skepticism on whether hydroxychloroquine could potentially work to reduce COVID-19 infections. Now, as we said previously, there are some studies that have shown that viral replication is reduced um, in, patient, in people who are taking hydroxychloroquine, but um, it's not enough evidence to, sh- to show whether or not it definitively helps clear uh, infections and have people test negative, uh, <clears throat> which is something that is yet to be proven now that being said there are a lot a lot of studies currently ongoing there's one study in detroit um, currently going on i think it's henry ford or one of these hospitals that actually NIH has funded a study to help you know get patients and test them with hydroxychloroquine and see if it actually works we also another big study going on in, in nashville i want to say so a lot of hospitals are actually starting to test this and we're going to have more data here over the next few months and hopefully this question will be definitively answered if hydroxychloroquine and endothermicin are effective treatments for COVID-19. Now, there's not the only drug here that um, is getting a lot of attention. Another drug that's been also on the news lately is a recent drug, or not recent, but it's a relatively new drug known as Remdesivir. Now this drug is produced by Gilead scientists, this is a biochemical lab, huge lab that's uh, you know, has, you know, centers all over the globe, but they developed this drug as a strong antiviral, bu- antiviral medication to help reduce uh, what we call certain viruses known as RNA viruses now I don't want to get too deep into the nitty gritty of biology here but you have two big major kind of viruses RNA viruses and DNA viruses um, most important thing you have to understand is RNA viruses are a certain class of virus that have to switch their genetic code to DNA before they can act and so, these uh, medications, this remdesivir, blocks this, this uh, virus from replicating by inhibiting its ability to create that DNA so it can start making new protein and start making new viruses, which is how it infects the cell. So, the drug uh, remdesivir was actually initially created during the Ebola pandemic. And of course, the Ebola pandemic occurred during 2014 and 2016 um, when, of course, uh, President Obama was in office. Um, which, you know, (laughs) we had our issues with Obama, but definitely the competency level was a lot higher. Um, And the reason why that's important, because they created an entire response team and everything regarding the Ebola pandemic, and um, a lot of things were being done at the time. One thing that actually happened during that period was that Gilead Sciences um, actually worked, I guess, with NIH to create an antiviral, and remdesivir is that virus now is that starting that virus that medication now this medication was actually created um, to fight the Ebola virus because it was a strong uh, virus to attack um, you know the Ebola type viruses that cause the Ebola infection um, however when good scientists created this medication they actually tested it on coronaviruses and SARS viruses and other and MERS viruses which are other viruses that were known to cause pandemics and it was shown to actually be effective in reducing the viral replication of those other kinds of viruses. So it's kind of interesting how, you know, medications that were already created for other purposes became useful for for new purposes. So, and again, when I say useful, um, there are essentially just studies that have shown some preliminary improvements in patients who have been taking these medications. But again, remdesivir, while it's been extensively tested in animals and um, in laboratory settings in vitro, It's shown to decrease replication of coronaviruses in a petri dish, but it's not really shown to do it consistently in humans yet. Um, Now, of course, there are a lot of anecdotal stories of people who have taken these medications and who are actually improving. Um, A lot of those to the point where the government has allowed now companies and physicians and hospitals to use this medication on a compassionate care basis, meaning patients who are deteriorating to the point that they're potentially going to die and there's really nothing else that has been successful. Um, Remdesivir is now approved by FDA to be used to treat patients and to see if there's an improvement. And, you know, because this is a very, you know, touch and go situation, a lot of data is being collected and a lot of studies are being conducted to see if this drug is actually effective. And um, the fact of the matter is, if it is becomes effective, which a lot of people hope it will be, that it'll be now a a very effective way to fight this infection and help reduce the you know deadliness of this virus because we all know that the virus particularly causes problems when it overwhelms the system causes systemic inflammation reduces the body's ability to breathe by attacking the lungs specifically and also can attack the brain the kidneys the heart and just really all parts of the organs uh, by reducing oxygen, oxygen uh, that those organs can get so it's just a very devastating virus so the uh, Idea of reducing the virus's replication abilities in the body are extremely, you know, important. It's something that a lot of antiviral therapies have tried to attack. This is also similar how the um, everyone's favorite um, antiviral Tamiflu is uh, used to fight the flu virus. So um, again, <clears throat> the treatments are very kind of experimental at this time. Another treatment that's also being ex- explored. Another very experimental treatment is an anti-cancer treatment um uh, rituximab hold on one second actually not rutix sorry ruxolitinib um and this this is a strong antiviral that's designed to suppress the immune system and you know there's a lot of different things that are being explored but one of the more controversial uh, treatment plans and we're going to do a whole show on this as well so stay tuned for that but um you know we're going to talk a little bit about vaccines and why vaccines have always um you know been a uh, a treatment style that many people have uh, looked looked toward to help treat these kind of infections. Now, the thing is with vaccines is that vaccines are effective um, because they actually help the body's immune system mount an immune response to an infectious organism. A good example of kind of the whole process of vaccinations and why they are believed to be effective is that when your body gets infected by uh, any virus, for that matter, like the flu virus or whatnot your body creates antibodies which help fight the virus, neutralize it, and eliminate it from your body. Now, some people's immune systems are weaker, weaker than others, so some people who get infected by a virus may not be able to mount an effective response and they end up succumbing to the virus. Others who have stronger immune systems are able to mount a, an effective immune response and they can eliminate the virus. Now, those antibodies are extremely valuable because now um, those antibodies are able to give the person who developed that know, that um, response and immunity to that virus. So they can no longer really become sick from it because the body will, will zap it and knock it out as soon as it, gets it comes into contact with it. Now, um, this SARS, I'm oh, sorry, this COVID virus is actually believed to mutate. So we're not sure how immune you become because the virus is such a highly mutagenic virus. It mutates very rapidly. It's very possible that even if you fight off the initial wave, you may get reinfected, which is being seen in certain populations. However, um, because of this whole process, it's been very, um, you know, important as far as finding a way to create a vaccine. And many companies have decided to um, develop different processes to create their own vaccine to try and be the first to create a cell vaccine, which can allow the body to fight antibodies or create antibodies to fight this virus effectively. Um, now, the thing about that is that it's a little bit uh, more difficult than a medication and that being said, it still needs to be tested. Still needs to be tested. So that is also something that's being done, you know, throughout the world, actually. Uh, many countries have actually decided to take on the whole uh, vaccine race, if you will. Um, now, the reality is there is a lot of money in this race. The first company to really criticize successful vaccine will likely, you know, have a financial windfall. And because of this, um, people are suspicious that many companies doing this with other nefarious intentions, um, it's unfortunate because vaccines are very, very important in the fight of any, especially viral infections. Because the body is sometimes a tricky beast, and creating a, uh, an effective method of fighting an infection is, is one of the really important tasks of uh, of helping you, you know, develop an immunity to a certain infection. So, um, and the vaccines have been an effective way to help reduce that um, virus's um, deadliness, if you will. Um, like we said before, um, a good example of this would be like the smallpox epidemic that was quite dangerous uh, back in the smallpox pandemic of the 1870s to the 1875s, where smallpox really um, just really wiped out about a half a million people. And the way they determined that um, smallpox was able to be treated was they were able to take the antibodies of individuals who were exposed to cowpox which is a similar infection that was caused by a similar organism that caused the smallpox and so those people who had cowpox they were able to have their you know blood drawn and that blood was used to treat patients who had cowpox or who had smallpox excuse me which helped stop the you know spread of smallpox um, now a similar um process is being used to treat COVID infections um the blood of people who have survived um, COVID um, infections are now being used where those antibodies are being extracted and used to treat other patients who are suffering from COVID infections. And there's actually quite a bit of success being seen with this practice. I know it's going on in hospitals here in Houston. It's also going on in hospitals in New York and other parts of the country and and the globe for that matter. It's even described in China initially during their COVID pandemic. So, um, you know, antibodies are going to be key. And so how we get these antibodies is going to be really important. Some companies have actually decided to synthetically create these antibodies um, by copying, um, using various supercomputers, um, other antibodies created by human beings who had the COVID infection. So a lot of science is going on. Um, the treatments are going to be pretty exciting when they do come out. Um, and we're going to talk more about this whole you know vaccine controversy, even that's causing rifts between Trump and Anthony Fauci, the uh, current head of the uh, uh, vaccine, or sorry, the current head of the pandemic response for the COVID-19 treatment. So we're going to talk more about all that in a future show, but you know, definitely there's a lot of positive news on the horizon regarding this overall pandemic, um, as well as um, the potential treatment um, options that are upcoming on the horizon. So stay tuned for that. We're going to cover those, of course, when they come out. In the meantime, you guys stay healthy. Prevention is key. Social distancing is an important thing. Keep doing it. Um, Try to reduce exposure to other people and just stay safe, guys. Uh, You know, it's a scary world out there, but I think, uh, you know, with information, you know, we're going to be able to navigate through it just fine. So, again, show host, Dr. Barry. Stay tuned uh, for more shows in the future. Peace.
0: Thank you for listening to the Health and Wellness Podcast. For more info, check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash next level weight loss. Our show can also be found on SoundCloud at www.soundcloud.com forward slash HW Connection. Lastly, for any inquiries, email us at drberryhealth at gmail.com. Until next time.